Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Lost Souls podcast, where we are normalizing conversations about being lost in life. My name is Aggie and I'm your host. And today we have an episode called Lost in Life, Rejecting the Conventional Path, where we're gonna be talking about what even is the conventional path and how as young 20 year olds, it can be difficult to navigate away from it, but it can be done. And today I have a wonderful guest with me, Selena Jaia Hyung, who is going to be having conversations about their experience, talking about how they kind of are creating their own path for themselves and really rejecting the conventional path. And so Selena is a fashion designer and writer, graduate of UW-Madison with a Bachelor of Science in Textiles and Fashion Design, author of Thoughts to the Universe, and a very wonderful and strong individual that I look up to. And so I would like to go ahead and welcome Selena on. Hey, Selena. Hi, I'm so excited to be here. Oh, we're so excited to have you. Thanks for coming on. You know, this episode is about like rejecting the conventional life. And, you know, when we even talk about the conventional life, I think sometimes everyone has their own interpretation. And so what does the conventional life look like to you? You know, so the conventional life, conventionality even, um, that's just, you know, what everyone is doing or expected to do, you know, so the regular you go through school, like high school, um, and then you go to college, and then you get your nine to five job, and maybe you get married and settle down and have kids, and you just work <laughs> to support your life. And, you know, and there's really, I feel like there's no, there's nothing beyond that um, in the conventional life of what, like, we have come to know. We're in our early 20s here, and so our conventional life kind of applies to what after graduating college looks like. And so for you, recently have graduated college, how do you think that the pressures of the conventional life impacts that? Uh, I think it definitely impacts um, where I'm at right now, because I have no idea, like, to be honest, I had no idea what I was going to do after college. And even now, like, I'm still figuring that out, you know, growing up, I didn't really understand a lot of it comes from the expectations of, you know, my parents and my grandparents, you know, um, everyone expects you to just land a really good job in order to support yourself financially and so that you can build your life. But also being a Hmong American woman or a girl in the eyes of my parents, you know, I, I feel like there's another layer to that in that I'm not really expected to have my own life until I'm married or until I like move out of the house to get married and I feel like that's like the other part of the conventional life that for me personally I don't see for myself for a long time. No I really enjoyed what you said um, about Hmong identity. We both identify as Hmong American women for individuals and listeners who are listening. And I think a lot of us tread this path of walking in between two different cultures here and trying to pick from the Hmong culture and dominant U.S. society culture and determine our own path because it can be very easy, like you said, to fall into the conventional Hmong life for Hmong women, which is to get married. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that, you know, getting married after you graduate, but also 
there's something wrong with the idea that not doing that is wrong. Not doing that seems wrong or that, like you said, like, bitch don't owning for ourselves or we don't have a st- stable life. If we don't get married after college, it seems like whatever we do in between is kind of a limbo. I really like how you brought that up because I think that a lot of pressure like that does exist as well for Hmong women. And so when um, we're talking about the conventional life, you said you talked about identity as well. And you don't, you said you don't see yourself getting married until later in life. I guess in your eyes, what does, what does marriage mean to you? Because marriage is such a big component of a conventional life for among American women. How do you see marriage or marrying someone? What does it look like in your eyes? Just recently, like I've realized my parents and my grandma use the term translating as going to start your life, you know, in terms of marriage. And to me, I just, you know, being like the Hmong American kid that I am, I literally translated that. And I'm like, yeah, I'm ready to go start my life. <laughs> um, and I want to, I want to move out and I want to start my life, you know, and I'm always saying like, but then to them, those terms mean like to get married and I didn't put two and two together for the longest time and now that I think about it you know um, marriage itself I feel like Millie I'm not anywhere near that realm at this age and and so I just really want to focus on myself and growing myself before I even jump into a relationship a long-term relationship and even think about marriage at all that's a really good point about marriage that it is difficult to connect the two and two together even though like it's been socialized by people in your life and we talked a little bit about like what the conventional life looks like and we kind of talked a little bit about like the marriage component of it as it's such a big component of the Hmong American women experience I guess how do you think folks learn what a conventional life is like where are places in your life that you you kind of learned about what a conventional life is or yeah so I think a lot of it comes from what we see growing up and the people we socialize uh, are socialized with or you know even like tv and movies and all of that our environment you know all of it especially being Hmong American your parents or our parents are always going to expect us to make sure we're stable in life, you know, and a lot of that stability comes from being with a partner who can help stabilize your life for you. To me, I feel like it just, I think it's because um, in home culture, we have a very, our culture is less individualistic. And so I think that plays a a big role um, into the conventional life when you're talking about it in the home culture. I think that was a really good point that you brought up about like Hmong, Hmong culture in the United States is very communal. And so it seems like a lot of the decisions that are expected out of individuals is to not just benefit ourselves as individuals, but to benefit the whole community. And so I totally agree with you. I think that what the image of the conventional life is, does, is, is embedded into us from the environment we grew up in. And then a lot of the environment that Hmong people grow up in is a very community-based, but then all of a sudden you have this dilemma where you go to college for some of us who are privileged enough. And then the conventional life is kind of a little bit more individualistic, but then it's always, you cannot escape that, not a bubble, but you cannot escape your own culture. And so I do agree with you that the environment makes a big impact, but also the complexity of the multiple environments that people are in and the multiple cultures that people live in too. So that was a really wonderful point. You know, we're talking about like the conventional life here, you know, how people come to believe in the conventional life. 
But I feel like a lot of us, as we're moving forward, we're having a lot of younger generations really being trailblazers and redefining what a conventional life is. Selena, tell us about your life and how it was unconventional. I would not have thought of my life as being unconventional for the longest time because, you know, I was your typical good student. I wasn't like a straight A student all the way through school or whatever, but I was I was a good student. I excelled in math and science and reading and, you know, I excelled in those areas and I was placed in higher level courses and I always strive to do my best in school. And so that was where I would say that my life was very conventional for a long time. And then I guess uh, something that played into my thought process uh, about conventionality a lot was when in high school, we had this new program that had started called Communities. It was a project-based learning program for two hours of the day in school. And I decided to apply for that program for my last two years of school or three years of school, actually. So I was in that communities program for three, my sophomore year, junior year, and senior year. And through that program, I just realized that like the way that I want to learn is so different. And it's like not how we've been taught. So project-based learning is different because instead of um, learning in the typical, you know, structured way of how usually like how teachers usually set up their classes, we learned more thematically or um, based on projects. So if we're doing a project on say like uh, we did a project on homelessness. And so we learned about uh, in social studies, we learned about, you know, what are what are the demographics in our area? And then maybe for writing, we did like a, a blog post or a reflection. And um, so different things like that. And in my senior year, I was able to run my own project. And I like did a showcase event to represent Asian Americans in the area. And from there, I feel like I realized things don't have to be the way that they are. And so when I went into college, I think that played a big role for me. Um, I always had that in the back of my mind of like, things don't have to be the way that they are. And I can do something about it if I want to. And so going into college, I got accepted to UW-Madison. I was going in undecided and I struggled with this a lot. Two weeks into the summer program that I um, was in, I went to my advisor and I was like, I don't think college is for me. Like, this is really hard. I don't know what I'm doing here. I don't know what I like. And she was like, let's slow down. Let's back up. And so we talked about it. And I, first thing I told her was, I'm interested in fashion design. But I'm also thinking about these other things like nonprofit community leadership, as well as something in business. I think it's super interesting how you talk about your project-based learning in high school. And I kind of feel like it treads into how you saw learning overall, because I feel like you saw an untraditional, unconventional way of learning. And then that was not necessarily a catalyst, but it planted a seed into your mind. Like you said, like things don't always have to be done like they've always been done before. I think that really speaks volumes to like how just a small seed planted in high school about like not always doing the way you've always done can encourage you to ask questions to resources so that you can kind of create your own life and I know you said you went to UW-Madison and for those who don't know it's quite a prestigious institution and university in the area and in the nation and so you said you talked to your advisor and then 
you told me that your major is was fashion. How did you come to that point to make that decision? Well, I had this conversation actually. That was not the last time I had a conversation with my advisor about what my major should be. <laughs> so I always had this feeling that I wanted to do fashion, but I was always so nervous about taking it head on, you know, because of the stigmas behind it not being a very stable career or maybe it being very competitive. Maybe there's there's that self-doubt, you know. And so after the initial appointment I had with my advisor, I just kind of backtracked a little and I was like, you know, I can do this. I reassured myself I can do this. It'll be okay. I'll figure out my major. I don't have to know my major right now. After my first semester, my first full semester at Madison, I had another meeting with my advisor and I was getting a little nervous again because I felt like I had to choose my major. Like, I don't want to graduate so late or I don't want to do too many years of school, you know. So she advised me to go check out the school that I that both of the majors that I was interested was at. So the community and nonprofit leadership major and the fashion design major are both in the School of Human Ecology at UW-Madison. And so I went to their open house. They recommended that if we haven't seen the third floor for us to go take a look. And on the third floor is where all the design students are. So the interior architecture students and the fashion design students, all the studios are on the third floor. And so I was like, let me go check it out. Let me just see what this is all about. And as soon as I walked up there and I saw the studios and I saw the dress forms and the print and dye studios and all the textile stuff and the weaving looms, I was like, oh my gosh, I want to be here. Like, <laughs> this is where I'm supposed to be, I think. And there's still a little bit of doubt in there, you know? <laughs> and then that's when I decided, I told my advisor, I was like, I think I, I want to do this. It, it did take a little bit of push from my advisor too. You know, she was like, you know, you fashion was something that you've always brought up. So why don't you, why don't you try it? You know? And so that was when I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to declare my major. And so I declared my major. And from that, I just never looked back. <laughs> I really enjoy hearing the story because for a lot of young folks who may be listening, they may be going through exactly what you're going through, like not quite sure when to declare, how to know to declare. And for you, like the third floor, like being there and being immersed in that experience seemed to like really encourage you to make that decision. And I think that's hard to make that decision because it's a brave decision to make, um, majoring in something that is very unconventional. I think it's really courageous to make that decision in the way you went about it. Like the thought process, I hope that folks who are listening who are having a hard time can kind of sympathize with it and be like, I need to go to the third floor too. (laughs) 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 And then you you went through, you know, you're at UW-Madison, great institution, fashion major. Um, If you could just talk a little bit about, you know, I know you had a wonderful internship in Nepal. If you could just talk a little bit about that and how it furthered your life into where you are now and where you're going in the future. For sure. That was my last credit that I had to do. I had been putting it off. So my internship was in Nepal, but originally I wanted to do it in Mexico. I got accepted into the Nepal program and I was placed with this organization or this business called Pia Nepal. And they're actually a smaller company of this company called ImageArc. And so Image Arc is a creative uh, branding and marketing company where they do um, campaigns and um, things like that for different businesses, either small businesses or big organizations, helping them find their brand identity and their message, really. They decided that 
they themselves can create a brand for something that they believe in. And so they created Pia Nepal, which works with poly craftsmen to create home decor and accessories. So during my time there, I realized that was also something I wanted to do because what they really do with their um, designs is they try to modernize the traditional Nepali craft. And so I took that idea with me as well while I was there. And I realized, you know, this is something that I can apply to my own design journey. Because going into fashion, I originally thought that I was going to be this designer who was going to design ball gowns and like just dresses and, you know, pretty things. And of course, I still want to do that, like make nice things. But I feel like my aesthetic and my personal journey has taken me to somewhere, a place that's much more personal, I guess. And going to Nepal and being a part of that internship really played a big role in that because I want to also take like Hmong clothes and Hmong traditions and crafts and art and make it more accessible to Hmong youth, you know, and just make it more uh, modern but still hold the the meaning of the craft and like just make it special in a way you know and so my internship in Nepal such a great experience and while I was there I was able to you know really be hands-on with the team and luckily while I was there they had received the their biggest project that they've gotten which was from the Nepal Tourism Board to rebrand Visit Nepal 2020 and my boss had asked me to design the the uniforms that the kiosk employees at either you know like airports or travel events would be wearing and that was such a amazing opportunity and I feel like I just happened to be in the right place at the right time um, because, you know, there's six of us that go to Nepal and there's three different placements and I just happened to be there. And the other person who was at my site, he wasn't a fashion designer. He was an art student. I just feel so like lucky to be there, you know, and I just happened to be the right person for the job. And I said, of course, like, of course, I'll do it. And so for that, they wanted similarly to what I like to do in my own designs is to bring traditional Nepali clothing or everyday clothing and um, elements into the uniforms as well. Unfortunately, 2020 being such a disaster. I don't think that it completely rolled out the way that they had expected, but it was still something that was really cool to be a part of and something that kind of helped me figure out my design journey and where I wanted to take it. I feel very empowered by what you said about your experience and internship in Nepal and you not so much getting rid of, right, you transforming traditional aspects of certain cultures and working to change it to make it fit its time, but not totally like getting rid of the heart of what was in the designs. Because I feel like we talked earlier about like, oh, the Hmong identity, how it impacts conventional life. But that like, I think when I hear you speak here, it's like, you can't really get rid of the Hmong identity, right? It's a part of who um, we are and everything we do, but we can redefine it and recreate it and put it into our quote unquote unconventional life that we're creating. And I feel like it's so empowering to hear the story because you chose a major that was a little bit more unconventional fashion, but then you did not stop and you continued to work it into your life and intertwine it into a way that is basically amazing and so thank you for sharing that part you know your internship in Nepal when I was on Facebook I would see Selena's post and I'm like this is so amazing I'm like this is so cool and just to see that you know a lot of folks can learn from like 
even though our cultures are different, you can learn um, similar narratives or can learn so much from other folks that you can apply to your own life. I loved seeing all of your Facebook posts on my end. And I'm so glad because I've also seen Selena's designs and being among uh, women myself, I feel like they're very beautiful. And I feel like they mean a lot because we're not getting rid of what our ancestors have created. Rather, like our ancestors have always done, we've adjusted it to the life that we live now. And so any other folks who are, you know, are in the creative majors and are having a hard time, like, don't neglect your roots, like your roots can be a part of you, I feel like. I know that like, you were in fashion, but then also being in the receiving end of Selena's amazing work, Selena also published a poetry book. And so how did, how did that come about publishing a poetry book? So for the poetry book, I've always um, written, you know, small little things here and there. I wouldn't call it poetry or anything. Um, just thoughts uh, in notebooks, loose leaf paper here and there, you know, making a mess in the house when my parents would just yell at me for having paper everywhere. But towards like the end of high school, I started journaling more and I would like keep these um, journals and just write little things in there. My sister actually, um, she was really into poetry. She's a much different style of poet than I am, but I was really um, inspired by that. And a lot of the poets that she would show me, I feel like that kind of planted a seed in my head as well. In college, the transition was very hard for me um, my first year. And so I was going through a lot of just navigating, being at a completely new city for the first time, being away from home, being a first generation college student. And all of that was just a lot for me. And I didn't really know where to put my feelings. And so I wrote a lot and I would journal a lot, anything and everything that would come to mind. And writing was always something that, you know, made me feel a little bit more at peace with myself. So I, I had always been writing and I always had these journals. And so junior year of college, it was like late at night, I made like three Instagram stories and they were poems back to back to back. And so my friend, she responded and she was just like, oh, you should make a book. And I was just like, yeah, yeah, sure, whatever. Like, you know, I kind of brushed off the idea. And a few months later, I was sitting, I was doing my homework, and I was just like, I should write a book. <laughs> and that thought just came to mind again. And I, I kind of just stopped what I was doing. And I grabbed all of my notebooks, I flipped through all of them, I put a sticky note um, on the ones that I liked. And I was like, okay, I, I want this one. I want this one. I like this one. I think this one is good. And so I marked all the pages of my journals that I thought would uh, make it into my book. And then I just kind of like put it away. So there's a, in this process, I feel like I, I would always get like the spark of interest in the, in making the book. And then I would always like kind of, you know, I guess maybe it's that self-doubt coming in again. And I would just kind of um, table the project for a little bit. And then when I get the spark again, I would you know, work on it. And so after I marked all the pages, I came back to it again. I typed up all of the poems in like one night and um, into my laptop. And then I texted my friend and I was like, hey, I'm going to write a book. Like, I need you to make my cover because she was, the, she was the one that suggested that I make a book. And she was one of my really good high school friends. So shout out to her for uh, making my cover, which a lot of people love. Like, that's the first thing that catches their eye. And then I did some research on uh, Amazon, how to be a self-publisher. So once I got all of that, I 
realized the last thing I had to do, the only thing I had left to do was upload it and publish it. And even that I put off for a whole year. I had received the book cover uh, a couple months later from my friend. And then everything just sat in my laptop for like a year. You know, I had mentioned to some friends that I've been thinking about publishing a book and they were really encouraging me to do so. And they're, they kept asking about it and they're like, oh, I thought you were going to write a book. Where's that book? Are you going to publish your book? <laughs> and so I think I have them to think to be really pushing me to put myself out there like that too. And so one day I was just like, okay, I'm going to do it. And I made this post on Facebook. Um, I remember I said, I just, I just typed PSA, I'm publishing a book. And then I just posted it. And then everyone's like, oh my gosh, congratulations, blah, blah, blah. And then later that week, I published it and it takes like a little bit to um, get reviewed and stuff. But then after it was reviewed, it was up and out of my hands. And so I started sharing it on Facebook and I shared a couple poems with the link and it was really well received. And I was very surprised by the amount of support that I got um, just from that initial um, launch of my book. And Selena, your book, um, do you mind telling us the title of it? Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> the book is titled Thoughts to the Universe. I think um, this, this story, too, of how this came out, like your Thoughts to the Universe book came out is really amazing because you talked a little bit earlier about being first generation in college and the struggles that people can go through. I think a lot of our folks in higher education are now first generation, but also like how when you're first generation, you can get imposter syndrome, which is like not believing that you are good enough for something or not believing in yourself that you can accomplish this. And I feel like hearing your story, I was, I'm looking at Selena through Zoom right now, and they were just glowing when they were retelling the story of how this book came to be. Because sometimes people think that like a book is just created, but it actually takes multiple steps and, and a lot of courage and a lot of pushing and a lot of just posting on Facebook to kind of push it to the end and I really enjoyed hearing that story because I myself have never published a book but I was able to see the struggles you went through but also know that and also understand that the unconventional path is not easy but that also see you glow and now know that your book is really well received so congratulations on your book by the way it's really amazing Thank you so much. Yeah. And so I know like we're talking about the unconventional life and you've done so many amazing things, you know, with fashion, um, with your poetry book. And then I also know that right now as graduates, a lot of the times the narrative is to find a nine to five job uh, with a company in corporate America or anywhere to work. I know that that's that's not something that not necessarily that you're not doing or pursuing right now. I just know that the nine to five life is not for everyone right now. So how are you navigating this expectation of getting a nine to five or committing yourself to a nine to five? Um, I've always thought that I'd be working a nine to five um, for the longest time. Uh, but throughout college, I've also found out that that's not what I want to do. There are certain classes I had to take like that would that are supposed to help with career building. During the reflections that we would do, I would say things like, I want to be an entrepreneur or I don't see myself working for a corporate job very long. I want to build a business despite knowing that it takes a lot of hours and knowing that it's going to be hard. But after graduation, those thoughts weren't as prominent because of um, the expectations that come along with being 
um, a graduate, which is just looking for a job and holding a nine to five. And so after my internship in Nepal in 20, the summer of 2019, I had come back and I was just so focused on not doing nothing. And <laughs> I just wanted to grind, whatever that meant. I just wanted to grind and do something with my day-to-day -day life so that I wasn't doing nothing. And so I worked and worked on uh, my book and I was promoting my book. I was going to events to promote my book. And I also decided to launch my website and blog um, where I was going to speak about my experience, uh, my everyday experience, and also my experience post-graduation. I was publishing blogs. I was like doing all this and that, all the while looking for a full-time job. And I did not let myself rest. And I feel like that took a toll on myself and because I forgot about what my real desires are, which was not to hold a nine to five, but was to build a business or build a brand for myself. So for all of 2019, I was not doing that. Like I was just, I mean, I was kind of building a brand for myself in the sense that I had launched my um, website, which has my portfolio and my poetry, um, as well as my blog. Um, but I was so focused on just like doing anything that would keep me busy. And it wasn't very much like towards the end, I started burning out. And I was like, this isn't, this isn't fun anymore. Like, I, I don't know what I'm doing. Like, what do I really want? Like, I, I should have a job by now. I should have cured a nine to five or a corporate job or like a quote unquote big girl job so I can support myself and like move out of my parents' house and things like that. You know, there's all these things that I wanted to do, but it just wasn't happening. And so in 2020, I feel like I really crashed. And that was really hard for me um, because like I said, you know, like all throughout high school and all, all throughout even college, like even though like, yes, it was a little unconventional, but I always, I always did what I had to do for where, wherever, whatever point that I was at in life, there was always a map. And I always knew what my next steps were going to be. Um, you know, like after I graduate high school, I'm going to go to college and I got accepted into college. So after college, I'm going to get a job. And, you know, I feel like that's like the narrative for a lot of people. Like, yes, I'm going to get a job after college. That's what you're supposed to do. But that, that wasn't really happening very quickly, at least for me. And in 2020, I had the beginning of 2020, I was still applying for jobs and I was interviewing, but, you know, with the pandemic and everything, things were a little bit different. Um, recruiters were either on a break or things just took a little bit longer. But I had several opportunities to interview with some really good companies. I could just like during my preparation for these interviews, I would be very like excited and I would I would um, prepare myself thinking, you know, like, oh, my gosh, like this is so great. Like I can't like believe that I got this opportunity opportunity to interview with them. Like just imagine if I get this job, like I'm, I'm going to be set for a little while and I'll be ready. But then like halfway through the interviews, I'd be, I would question myself a lot. Like, do I really want to work here? Do I, is this really what I want for myself? You know, like a lot of these jobs are falling through 
I, I had to really look within myself and think about what am I doing and what do I want? And once I started answering those questions for myself, I took a step back from even applying for jobs. Like I just, you know, completely stopped. I let myself breathe, <laughs> which I think is so important. And I feel like we're so social. We're all socialized to be grinding all the time. And rest is so important, I think. And I finally, I let myself breathe. I, I rested. And, you know, I finally found a lot of peace with myself about like where I was at and what I was doing, you know, and so for the rest of 2020, I was just, my family owns a business, uh, uh, Asian grocery store. And so I've just been, I was like helping my parents um, with that because uh, we got really busy during the pandemic, luckily. And so I was helping them with that. And I just felt like I'm exactly where I need to be for the time being. And so I, I kind of let go of the thought of, I need a nine to five. I understand like, not everyone has the privilege to say do nothing and make any income, you know? Um, and so for me personally, I'm living back home with my parents and I feel like that is such a privilege to some point too. And I, I've been helping them with our business and I've just been thinking about all the projects that I want to do and the path that I want to take. And I'm kind of at this point of rerouting myself right now. I think hearing this, not necessarily outright rejection of the nine to five, but redefining what work and career can look like after graduation is super refreshing to hear. I myself went into a nine to five right after graduating, but I, I admire you because like you actually like sat down and, and, and thought about this nine to five and processed it as you were interviewing and preparing. Whereas like I, myself, and I know a lot of other folks just jump into the nine to five. And let me tell y'all something. The nine to five is scary because you can get sucked into it and not think for years because all of a sudden like passions are set on the side and then monetary like having money is the sole purpose. And I think that's where like a lot of folks follow the conventional life of getting into the nine to five. And then all of a sudden their passion is not the center and your passion does not always have to be the center, but it all, it has to be somewhere along the lines because then you just become a zombie. And I know some people call it corporate slaves or, you know, people who just run the corporate world, but have no thought process. So hearing this, this different perspective of the nine to five is super refreshing to me because it makes me think about my nine to five, but also gives hope to other folks who are not quite sure about the nine to five. And like I said, the younger generations are transforming what work will look like in the future and what career will look like. And so I know you said it yourself, it's a privilege that you were able to quote unquote, do nothing and move back home. But also this is a refreshing thought and a way to redefine the nine to five. And I really appreciate you sharing because it wasn't always easy um, getting to this point. It sounds like you're, you know, you're talking about that. And I know like when we talk about the unconventional life, it is amazing to hear your story, Selena. But also I know definitely it wasn't easy. You know, you talked about 2019, 2020. Was there any pushback from your family when you were kind of like doing these pursuits um, and not necessarily abiding by what quote unquote you're supposed to do as a graduation? Yeah, so I feel like my family has been pretty supportive. So I feel like the pushback part was that 
I was afraid of how it was going to be received by my family. Um, but once I, I did do the things that I did, like, you know, fashion or launching my book or even traveling to do promotional stuff for my book, my parents and my family were very supportive. Like in 2019, I, I was still uh, in Nepal at doing my internship, but I also had gotten this opportunity to be a vendor at HCON, which is uh, the Momentum Convention, and they do, it's a Hmong-ran organization, and they promote, um, you know, Hmong arts and just different talents, business, things like that in California. I knew that I, I could do it, and I had the funds to go, but I was a little bit short on funds in, uh, in order to purchase books for the event, and so... I reached out to my dad. Actually, before I reached out to my dad, I crunched all the numbers. I found my flight information, my how much the books were going to cost. And I like, I called my dad because I knew he wasn't going to just give me the money. And so I had to be prepared. And I like, I prepared all this stuff. I was like explaining to him um, what I wanted to do. And my dad, he he is an entrepreneur himself. He only graduated high school. He always knew that you don't have to have um, the highest education in order to succeed, in the, especially in the United States. And so I feel like a lot of that mindset was instilled in me. And so I feel like when I went to him with this idea, he wanted to let me do it, but also he still wanted to kind of warn me in a way about how it might not turn out the way that I expect, you know? And so I feel like at first he was a little bit hesitant about supporting me for this event. He was saying like, oh, like I can't just give you whatever you want. Like you're never gonna be able to learn how to do things on your own if I just do everything for you, you know? But I was like, that's not what I'm asking. I'm not asking you to do everything for me. I just need a little bit of help right now. And and so I can like really put my all into this. And I feel like, he kind of uh, finally gave in. And so he was, he really supported me. And I was able to go to this event in California. So I flew out there. Um, and I had my books and everything and all the set up. Uh, I remember he called me on the, the morning of the event. And he was just like, Oh, and me and my dad, we don't really talk on the phone that much. And so I was like, Oh, like, Oh, maybe he's just checking in. So I picked up the phone. And he was just like, asking me how it's going and like if there's a lot of people there or if like people have bought my book and like little things like that and you know like I feel like that's such that seems like such a small thing but that's such like a grand gesture to some point because I feel like a lot of Hmong parents or Asian parents are just like even parents in general like they have a hard time expressing their um, that they're proud of you or like expressing themselves to their kids but that one phone call I was like okay, like, <laughs> like, he, he's not mad at what I'm doing. He, he supports me. Like, that's when I knew I was like, okay, like, they're um, along for the ride. <laughs> Super wholesome to hear like your dad calling you and not not saying a whole lot, but it's a whole lot of meaning in that phone call, I guess. Because, uh, you know, being Hmong people, like, like you said, sometimes the conversations with parents can be very little depending on who you are. But also like, I guess like I it makes me think about like how being children of refugees, all our parents ever wanted was for us to like have stable jobs of some sort. But then like your dad, 
you know, not necessarily rejecting supporting your idea, but questioning you to ensure that it's something you really want to do. And just seeing how he gave in and, you know, like he supported you, it made me feel really wholesome because he's an entrepreneur themselves. And I would say like, it's almost like it runs in your blood, right? Like this, this entrepreneurship, like ability to, you know, launch your own book and do all these amazing things. Like, I'm sure a part of your dad is within you. And like, it's almost like, I think like, how can, how can, how can they reject that when it's a part of them? Cause I think about my parents and like, they're quite loud and outspoken too. And sometimes they yell at me, but I'm like, I'm just like you all, like <laughs> I learned this from you. And so I, I'm glad to see that your family is really supporting you and also talk you know you talked about going to HCon and being there with your books it, that it wasn't an easy process right it takes a lot of thinking and planning and then asking for support to get to that point and I think for so many people it's so important for them to hear this once again I said this earlier that necessary steps have to be taken to reach a goal and from the outside when I you know when some people see you, like when I saw you, I'm like, this is so amazing. But I had no idea that you had to go through all those steps to get there. And that like dreams are amazing, but that like, they're not achieved without sweat and tears. And I know that's such a cliche thing to say, but for real, like, I know earlier you talked a little bit about like, it wasn't necessarily the pushback from your family. It was kind of pushback from yourself. Like, what other pushback did you receive from your own self while you were trying to do all these pursuits that were not really what you planned for yourself back then? Yeah, so I think it's that stereotype that when you do these things, people are gonna, you know, hate on you or not even hate on you, but they won't, they won't understand. And so they won't support you and you won't be able to excel in whatever you're doing. That's because it's different. But I found so much support within our community, you know, and especially again, going back to HCon, I, if I'm going to be completely transparent, like I did, I didn't make a lot of money from, from going there, you know, and honestly, the whole book thing, I, it was never to make a lot of money. I just wanted to, it was just something for me. And like, I wanted to um, share a part of myself with just friends and family. And then all of a sudden, like, as the shares, kept um, going on Facebook and just over social media, people found my book and, or they, they found me at the event and bought my book, you know, and I want to share this one moment at HCon that made the whole event worth it. Um, even though, you know, like it was kind of a slow day. I was just standing there and I like, people were still coming through and stuff, but then um, this mom, these two moms, they had a booth across from mine and they just walked over and they're like asking me about my book and they were kind of flipping through it. And one of the moms, she flips to one of the pages and like a single tear rolls down her face. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my gosh, what? And what are you reading? <laughs> and I was so curious. And she, she just said to me, I remember, I, I think the poem was the one that said she didn't realize it then, but she had been carrying the weight of the world with the beat of her heart. And so when she read that, she told me, she's like, wow, I think this is how my daughter was feeling at some point. And so her daughter must have been going through something. And when she read that, it reminded her of her daughter. And then so after that, she was just talking to me and she's like, you know, like, I'm really happy that you're here. I hope you don't stop writing. Please come out and show yourself 
to parents so we know that there's other things that our kids can do out there. There's other things for our kids to do, like writing and not just, you know, these like being a doctor or a lawyer and like things like that. And like that one interaction was so meaningful to me that like I just really held it with me. And like I said, like it made it made the event like worth it. And that's not the only like good experience I've gotten from like promoting my book, you know, like so many people have reached out to me and told me how much like m- me sharing my personal journal basically with them was so um, comforting and it makes them feel like somebody else understands what they're going through. And all of that was so overwhelming to me because I just thought like it was going to be a few people that was going to read my book and that was going to be that, you know, but so many people have like reached out to me and told me about how they felt after reading my book. And, um, and I just feel so, so blessed, you know, to, to be in this position and just to think that I almost didn't publish it is so crazy to me because like, so much good has come from this. And I did not even think that I would get this much support, you know? I feel like when I hear this, I mean, it's emotional. Like, not for me, I'm going to cry, but it's emotional to hear because, like, when you were telling us earlier, these, what are, what you wrote in your, for your book, it started through the struggles of your experience of transitioning into college. And who would have ever thought that, like, that would, lead to this and I know the journey is not over but that it will continue to lead to more and that like these solid dreams that people always envy other people for it's like these start from very not little realities but very realities that a lot of other people experience too and that like for you you were able to make it into a book that other people could relate to and I hope that that mom shared that book with her daughter because I don't know just hearing that a tear came down right there dang that hit the heart but (laughs) I guess just you know hearing these stories is so amazing you know hearing what you've accomplished so far but also like what you're technically working towards and how you're transforming the way you're thinking what is um moving forward when you know as you're in my perspective a trailblazer paving the way forward what is your perspective on life moving forward now you know you talk about 2019 2020 we're in 2021 not necessarily your resolutions but what is your perspective moving forward in life now I think overall, we are approaching an era where our generation is collectively rejecting the systems that have already been put in place, because these are things that as the younger generation, we're seeing that it's not working anymore. Like it's, it's time for these things to evolve. And so I think that collectively, we're all moving towards something different, whatever that that looks like, I, I can't say, you know, but for me, I just want to move forward knowing that I'm exactly where I need to be. And um, no one really knows what they're doing. And you only know the outcome of your decisions, of the decisions that you make. And so I feel like that's something that I learned in 2020 is just that make the decision, just, just do it. After all of these things, like I've been reflecting so much on things that I've done. And a lot of the things that I did, I feel like I don't give enough power to because I I think like, oh, it's just one little thing that happened. But it really snowballed, like especially this book, it really snowballed into something that's, I think, going to be a big part of my life for a long time, you know. And I think moving forward, I just, I, wa- I want to be sure of myself and just make decisions 
that I want to make decisions with intention. When you said that no one, no one really knows what they're doing and that the outcomes, you know, you don't know the outcomes of the decision that you make. And it makes me think back to like this podcast, you know, that Selena was really amazing and willing to come on. But like I told Selena when we were, you know, having a discussion about this episode, I was like, I literally like bought a MacBook. Mm, Someone in my family bought me a mic and I just started Googling how to start a podcast. And I did not know where uh, this was going to go, or I still do not know where it's going to go in the future but it's because I saw people like Selena you know paving the way for their own dreams that I was like you know what I don't know what I'm doing and I don't know where it's going to take me but I will never know unless I do it and so I totally agree with that perspective moving forward in life and that yeah some people may see like appear like they know what they're doing but like no one really really knows what they're doing and so I feel like 2020 kind of paused a lot of people's lives and put them on like what what are you doing in your life uh, how are you and kind of question you're like what what are you doing tomorrow so for you I guess how are you going to live each tomorrow for yourself and how are you going to live your life yeah moving forward you know I even I don't know what I'm doing all these things I don't want to discredit myself but honestly I don't know what I'm doing I'm taking things day by day but I want to moving forward like I said I want to trust that I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. You know, I had this conversation with my sister recently, like just a few days ago, and she shared with me this quote that said, if you properly tend to the present, the future will take care of itself. And I feel like that is so profound. I think it's something that I want to apply to my own life because we're always so worried about what are we going to do next? How am I going to do this? How am I going to do this if I don't have this and this, you know? And there's all these things that, that like muddy our brains that if you just allow yourself to sit in the present and take care of what needs to be taken care of today, then tomorrow you'll be fine. And I think that's how I, I want to live moving forward. I think that's some really amazing advice, you know, tending to the present, because how many of us always are have anxiety or anxious about the future, but you're right, maybe, maybe having a more stable present will allow for the future to develop in the way that it's supposed to. I guess, you know, right now we're talking about, you know, who you are now, just a word of advice, you know, if you could give your younger self any advice regarding living an unconventional life, what would you say to your younger self? Yeah, so my younger self, I, <laughs> I feel like back when I was, you know, I don't know how young we're talking about, like 10, 11, 12, even up to, you know, 17, 18. Um, I'm 23 now. I just feel like for such a long time, I didn't believe in myself enough, or I was so timid. And I, I always described myself as a person who is afraid of everything. <laughs> um, but once you start taking steps, and tuning out the noise and trusting your intuition, things get really good. And things will fall into place. And no matter like how hard things get, I think if you're grateful for where you're at, and you believe in yourself enough you know all these things like sound very cliche but it's it's so true like if you believe in yourself enough I I wrote this in my journal the other day I said have the audacity to believe in yourself and be delusional enough to think you're the best at what you do because those things are gonna propel you into the next thing that you're gonna do and so 
if you can just tune out the noise and trust your intuition, like I feel like not enough of us do that. And, and if you can do that, it, it really brings about so many good things. I am the 10 to 12 year old Selena who's taking notes right now from you. <laughs> no, those are some, those are really wonderful words of advice to give your younger self, but to give a lot of other folks who might identify with your younger self. And I know you, you know, you, we're, we're all continuously blooming and growing, but just to hear those words is super nice. So we're kind of nearing the end of the conversation, but we're not at the conclusion yet. We're at a portion called the fire question round. And so this, I did not prep, I did not prep any uh, folks for this section where you're, I'm just going to be asking you some questions because sometimes when you're feeling really lost in life, you search for home and home can be a person, a place, a feeling. It's really different for everyone. And so I know this is the Lost Souls podcast. So sometimes folks will search for some sort of homage to ground themselves. So I just have some a few questions for you to answer. And so I'm just going to begin here. Question number one is when you're feeling lost, where is a place you like to go to to feel at home? Uh, I would say my journal. When I'm lost, my journal is the first place that I go to. It's when I start writing, I sometimes get the answers that I'm looking for, or it's like a little note to self that a little reminder or affirmation that I need for the moment that I'm in. That's so beautiful. And that is why a lot of your poetry is so amazing, you know. And then the second question is, uh, what is a food you like to eat when you are feeling lost and you're searching for home? In college, I ate a lot of uh, boiled chicken and cabbage soup or either just like something with tomato pepper. (laughs) Yeah, when you're in college, if folks have not gone yet and you are like, Mong, you definitely want to learn to make those dishes because homesickness is for real. And just eating those dishes myself as well, um, similar dishes, it kind of just grounds you. So I love hearing um, whenever Hmong folks are on the podcast and (laughs) they list the foods that they eat, I get hungry because I'm like, "Mm, this sounds so good right now. And then the last question here, what is something you read or watch when you're feeling lost and you are searching for home? I have uh, a few poetry books from other authors. A couple of my favorites are from Rupi Kaur, as well as my one of my favorite poets is her name is Raina Biddy. I found out about her because uh, I don't know if you guys know of the artist Kehlani, but um, she did the intro for one of Kehlani's albums. And I just thought her words were so beautiful. And I like looked into her and I, I found that she has a couple books out. And so I started reading her work and I can just relate a lot to not only her words, but also the way that she writes. And then also she has like audio soundtracks on Spotify too. And so I listened to those as well when I was lost. Awesome, thanks for sharing. And so that will close out the fire question round. So everyone, you know, who's feeling lost, I know we all search for home, but whenever I ask these questions, everyone always answers differently. So home is what you create and home is your own, is through your own experience, you create your own homage. And so thanks for sharing a little bit about yourself in regards to that, Selena. We have reached the end of the episode of the lost in life, rejecting the conventional path, where we talked with Selena about like their decisions they've made in their life and how it was tech, unconventional to a certain extent but that it's the new way to live life so that life is more meaningful and so as we're closing out here selena where can folks find you on social media so on facebook you guys can find my business page uh selena jaya spelled 
N-T-S-A-I-A-B. So Selena Jaya on Facebook. And then on Instagram, I'm at Selena underscore Jaya and also at Thoughts to the Universe. And then my website, um, you guys can find my uh, portfolio as well as some poetry and as well as my book, if you guys are interested in ordering a copy, selenajaia.com. And we'll also, I'll also put this down in the show notes too, so folks can click on it. And so thanks for um, sharing your social media. Don't forget to follow the Lost Souls podcast on Facebook and Instagram at the handle, the Lost Souls podcast. And also don't forget to check out the website, thelostsoulspodcast.com. And you can feel free to spill your soul and give any suggestions back about the episode. Or if you want to say something to Selena, you can go ahead and just say it. Don't worry, you have, you can have an alias and you can have whatever name you are. We don't have to know who you are and spill your soul to us and so thank you so much selena for being on here and being absolutely amazing any last words before we close out uh i just want to say thanks for having me um i'm so happy and excited for you to have this podcast because podcasting is something that i've been thinking about for a long time but never really got into and so i'm happy that i can be here and support you as well Yes, everyone, look out for a possible podcast from Selena in the future. (laughs) Thank you so much. Um, Whatever time you're listening to this, Lost Souls, have a wonderful morning, day, or evening. Bye.